hello. Today we're going to be talking to Brianne Nicole Knight, uh, an ICU nurse originally from Nashville, Tennessee, and someone who's traveled all the way from Houston, Texas to go to New York and to help out with the coronavirus pandemic. Hello, Nicole. Hi, Marvin. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, first off, my name is Brianne Nicole Knight. I am 25 years old, and I'm originally from Nashville, Tennessee. I took my first career as a nurse in Houston, Texas. So I left my job at Memorial Hermann in the Houston, Texas Medical Center to take my first travel assignment in New York. I just went out on a leap of faith. I felt like I was needed here because these nurses need help. They're working over 16 hours. Well, not over 16 hours, because that's illegal, but they're working at least 16 hours a day just because they are short staff. They don't have the staff to be able to acquire for the amount of patients that they have. And I couldn't went anywhere else to work, but I chose New York. Okay. So what was the situation in terms of, so, so you were working, were you working in a hospital in, in Houston, Texas at the time? Yes. Since I work in heart failure ICU, it's a very clean unit. We didn't get any coronavirus patients um, because we do heart transplant, lung transplant. We, we can't take the risk of mixing that type of virus with these type of patients that have new transplants. And so we weren't really doing elective surgeries anymore. So you traveled to New York. Can you tell me a little bit about your first day, what that was like? Okay. Yeah. Remember it like it was yesterday. My first day, I felt like I was mentally prepared. I walked into the unit and I was like, oh, this looks chill. You know, this looks a little different from what media tried to play it out to be. But then was I fooled? I kept walking and I seen four or five patients in a room. I noticed the amount of patients compared to the amount of nurses didn't equal. I'm kind of like, okay, so where's the nurses? If it's this amount of patients, like, how can this, how can it be so small amount of nurses, but this amount of patients? So then I began to question, like, but then they stuck us with a nurse each. And I was with that nurse for 10 minutes. And within that 10 minutes, I didn't learn anything because she was so boggled with the amount of patients that she had. And then finding out that one of the nurses that was there lost her mom to the virus in Florida. So just actually seeing this nurse break down at work is just something I've never just seen before because she couldn't be there to hold her mom's hand. She couldn't be there to look at her mom's last heartbeat. She couldn't be there to listen to her mom's last breath. It was just a lot to handle, just seeing her scream and seeing her throw things. It was a lot because she couldn't physically be there. So she went home. And so then that left 18 patients to four nurses. So my orientation was canceled. They gave me patients, four patients at that, not knowing the charting system, not knowing any of the codes to get into any of the doors that were locked, not knowing where intubation kit was, if my patient needed to be intubated, not knowing where any supplies was, 
but all the travel nurses, we had to figure it out. But we did it though. So I mean, you gotta think about it, it's a crisis. No one's gonna hold your hand and tell you, oh, this is where this is, this is where this is, it's gonna be okay. But it's not that time for that. But we did it. My first day, I stayed until 11 o'clock p.m. because we were short staff. I took care of four patients for 16 hours. And the patient load was not easy. A normal patient to nurse ratio is two to one. I was doubled that for a whole entire shift. And these patients, one being prone, meaning that the patient is laid on their stomach and intubated, meaning they have a tube going down their mouth to help them breathe. Also being on medicine, 10 different drips. And if you turn those drips off, you turn that ventilator off, that patient's not gonna make it. So just do that times four. All of my patients had the same type of medications going all, all at the same time. That's a lot for an ICU nurse. And ICU nurses are very detailed. And during this time, we cannot be detailed like we normally are. It's just too much at the same time. Because it's been one time, it's been, it's been days to where I can walk into a patient's room and there's four patients and I'm checking on one and I turn my back and the other one can be dead. It's a lot. Um, and that did happen on my first day. I went to check in on one patient and I turned around and another one was dead. Wow. So and it's a lot to deal with on the first day. Mm. Okay. You know, obviously, you know, the vast majority of people will never get to fully understand how difficult that is, uh, the stresses, the strains. Um, and how was that first week? You know, what kind of transpired for the rest of the week? Uh, I didn't, I wouldn't say there were any good days. There still were people dying and passing. Um, it was just like, we got to the point where we ran out of body bags. That's how bad it was. Wow. My first week, I witnessed a doctor die on me. I took care of a doctor and he passed on me. Was that a doctor from the hospital or? Not the hospital that I currently work at, but a hospital in New York. Uh, and how have you felt supported through all this difficulty? I feel the most support from healthcare providers due to the fact that we're in this together and we have each other's back. And I really feel like society forgets about doctors. I mean, I feel like the focus is on nurses, but I want to look at doctors as well because they have feelings just like we do. Just yesterday, I witnessed a doctor put the phone down in the middle of him telling a family member that their dad died. He couldn't bear it no more. He gets up. He yells, I can't stand to keep giving bad news. So another doctor had to pick up the phone to finish the conversation. Doctors have feelings just like nurses have feelings. It's kind of bad news after bad news after bad news because these people are really sick. And the thing is, healthcare providers, we do not know the type of medicine to give these patients yet.
it's kind of like a guessing game. I feel like maybe every other week, so this is my third week, there's a different medication that I'm giving to try to help them. We don't know. Well, okay. And so you're talking about, obviously, other medical profession professionals have been ill. You know, during your time, have you had anyone come down with the illness? Yes, quite a lot, actually. Um, my first week alone, just my first week here, um, a lady in administration at my hospital passed. Um, another lady in administration this week came to the ER and didn't get past the ER because she didn't make it. I have uh, a PCA that worked at the hospital I work at has passed as well. Three ER nurses have passed. There are currently ER nurses in the ICU that I work in now. Um, and an ICU nurse that helped orient me for the 10 minutes I was in orientation was just admitted into the ICU yesterday. And not only that, travel nurses have started to have symptoms. Um, some of them are being forced to quarantine. So, so it's kind of like, it's, it, it's everywhere. So not only am I having to protect myself from patients, I have to protect myself from staff. So, well. okay. so how about the personal protective equipment then? How's your standard of PPE? So at the beginning, my first day, I was given an N95 mask and I was told that I'm only getting one N95 mask and this is to last me my whole entire assignment. My assignment ends in July. So that's roughly a little bit over three months. And typically, one mask. And typically, typically how long is it supposed to last? Not three months. Normally on a regular day when there's not in a crisis and none of this is going on, you dispose of that mask. You get another one each time you go into the room because we had the equipment. We had the supply. We had it. That's on a normal day. Now we're having to, at the beginning, before this got bad, we were using it in 95 masks, taking it off and just putting it in a room and putting it in a bag. But now, with everything, how's going on, we leave that mask on our whole entire shift. Whole entire shift. But now that the governor in New York has made it, has mandated that everyone has to have a mask and that N95 masks have to be given to everyone every day we come to work. So the N95 masks have gotten better, but the gowns have not. Um, I wore the same gown for an entire week. An entire week. And then on top of that, we're sharing gowns. We are, when we're done coming out of a room, we hang that gown up on the outside of that patient's room so a doctor can wear that gown or another nurse can wear that gown or radiology or whoever needs to go into that room. They wear that same gown. Unless they found some gowns somewhere or someone's blessed them and sent them some gowns, that's the gown that they're wearing to enter into that room. Mm. And so people wonder how healthcare providers are getting sick. And how, how do you feel, you know, are you feeling for your own safety? You know, do you have time to feel for your own safety? How, how does that work? I can't, I can't make a mistake. 
I can't forget to put my N95 mask on. I can't forget to put a gown on before going in that room along with some gloves because this one little mistake could it put me at high risk. And not just at the hospital, everywhere here. Even going into the break room. I'm scared now to even go to the break room and take my mask off to eat. Because so many staff members where I'm at are testing positive and are, are having symptoms. So I'm, I'm even scared to even eat in the break room. So I go somewhere else to eat lunch, if I do even get a lunch. More than 75% of the time, I don't get a lunch at work. And how many hours are you doing a day? Now I'm only doing roughly 13 hours. Hmm. But I am working more days. I work six days in a row, so there's only seven days in a week, and I'm only off two of them. Okay, so last time we spoke, I think we were going to be doing this interview, but then you were asked to work Stay those over. days? Yes. What happened there? Uh, they're short staff, so they need help on night shift. They don't have the, the amount of nurses they need to take care of these patients because we may new york have, may have reached their plateau for their peak but icu is still getting admissions three days ago we got five new admissions in one hour one hour of icu patients and where did they go with the room for them we made room and you gotta remember, we have three ICU floors. One was originally the ICU, and then they made a med, a med surge floor and an OR floor, an ICU floor. They turned it into an ICU. Hmm. I think we should mention that obviously New York is the, the hub around the globe with 270,000 cases, uh, and which is a third of all cases in, in the US despite being a small area uh, and 21,000 dead at this point. Um, so, you know, you've chosen to, to really go to where, where the real firefight is. What would you say in, okay, the last time we spoke, um, you were talking about the first week in, have you, noticed any kind of change in, in the last few days, you know, in terms of what's happening? Yes. yes. So I would say the end of last week, it was getting better. So I had dropped down to two patients, which was the normal patient nurse ratio. And two days later, I went back to taking care of three or four patients. So it was good for two days. And Why was that the thing? Honestly, I do not know. Sure. Just staffing levels, perhaps? Or? No, it's the same amount of people. Same yeah. amount of staff. I see the same faces. But those two days, it was, it was pretty good. I was like, this is what it's supposed to be like, you know? Mm. But then it went right back. And what about the patients then? So how has it been? Have there been many success stories or no um there have been a few patients that have been extubated 
that did have the virus. They weren't my patients, but that is still exciting to say, but they're right back. They're right back to the ICU. So can you just explain what happened there then? So there's a process. So when a patient is intubated, we do a spontaneous breathing trial just to see if they're able to breathe on their own. Some of them pass it, and if they pass it, we can extubate them, meaning the tooth can come out of their mouth, and then we just put them on a supplemental oxygen, which is like a nasal cannula, and then they're fine, they're good. So then they move out of the ICU and go to a med surge floor or a step-down floor. Probably not even two days later, they're back into the ICU because they have went into respiratory distress, meaning they can't, they're having issues breathing on their own and they need more oxygen support, meaning they need to be put back on the ventilator. Mm. And with this virus, this virus just doesn't affect your lungs. It affects your hearts. It affects your kidneys. And these people don't even have past medical history of renal failure. And they end up in renal failure because the virus attacks everything like it's a cancer. It's not a cancer, but it attacks organs like it is. So last time we spoke, you spoke about a negative pressure room, which I hadn't heard about before. Can you just explain what that is? So a negative pressure room is when the air that we're breathing in is not the same air. It's recycled out. So we have a machine that pulls the air out of the room out into the world, basically outside of the hospital. Mm -hmm. So it's pulling in new air. 24-7. It's new recycled air because these patients are intubated, which means it becomes airborne because the ventilators are not a closed circuit, meaning that when we give um, breathing treatments, that air becomes aerolized, which means it's, it's in the air. So when you breathe, you can breathe that in. But that's when you have the negative pressure room to where that air gets sucked out. So it decreases the amount of exposure of the virus doesn't diminish it it just lowers it okay and how many of them do you have how many what patients in a room sorry the the, the negative pressure is oh is all of them have made all of them have been made negative pressure rooms oh, okay 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 and you, you spoke before about um support you know how how has it been to deal with emotionally for you uh, and how has that support helped? Um, my emotional standpoint now, I honestly, I feel like it has affected me a lot. Um, I used to be a type of person to always want to be on the phone and talk to my friends. And now I've kind of just wanted to be to myself because like my mind, my thoughts are just always racing. I just think about my life, my life past this. Like, am I going to have a life past this? Because I feel like every time I go to work, I feel like I'm at risk of catching the virus. At any point, I can start having symptoms. And, you know, uh, so I really feel like majority of my support comes from my colleagues, the people that I work with, because we're in it together. We're at work all the time together. And this is who we see on a daily basis. And I really feel like that's where my support mainly comes from. Because people outside of healthcare, they do not, and, I'm, and I truly mean this in the nicest way, do not understand what we go through every single 
day. They don't understand that we are getting phone calls or we're giving phone calls to loved ones saying that there's no, there's no progress. They're not going to come out of this. I don't know what else to tell you. They're, they're actively dying. Those are bad phone calls to give. And people don't realize how that affects us at all. You get here all the time that, oh, we're praying for you. You're such a hero. You're so brave. You're courageous and all these other things. But are you doing anything to help? Mm. You're not doing, society's not doing anything but wanting to open back up because money is a root of all evil. They feel like money is more important than their life. So I just don't understand. Money's going to be there. You can gamble with money, but you can't gamble with your life. And I really feel like this is what a lot of people are doing. And society is thinking that it's, they're in denial. They think that this is like the flu and it's not like the flu. It's definitely not like the flu. And people are not understanding that. They think it's not that serious. They think, oh, I'm immune. I'm not going to catch it. I'm going to go to this person's house. I'm going to go to that person's house. I'm going to go back to work. I can't wait to go back to work and start making money. They don't understand it. And I really feel like if I could take a camera and if HIPAA was not in a breach whatsoever, I would record a patient taking his last breath. I would record a patient's heart rate jumping from 120 all the way down to 30 into zero. I would record a family member crying and yelling on the phone when we just giving them bad news that their loved one died. I would record all of that. And then see what, how they feel after that about going out into the world without a mask on it, getting the world started back up. Then I would see, then we'll see how they would react to that. But we can't because it's a breach in HIPAA. Mm. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. Let me ask you then on that. So a lot of people in other states are protesting against the lockdown. How it's like a slap in the face. <laughs> It's like a slap in the face. I really feel like healthcare providers weren't respected at the beginning with, not by everyone, not, not speaking for everyone, but patients are giving a survey once they leave the hospital and we're rated as a whole. And patients forget what nurses did for them. They forget what doctors did for them. They forget they came in sick and almost died, but then they're walking at the hospital good as ever and then give us back survey. And then this pandemic came happened and now we're heroes. Now, you know, you go out there and risk your life while we, you know, sit at home and watch you. And then now you're like, okay, it's over with. We rewarded nurses for all such amount of time. Okay, I'm tired of it. Now I'm ready to go back to work and make my money now. It doesn't work like that. It's not just gonna stop just because you say it stops. And <laughs> Okay, so obviously, where do you get your hope from? You know, what, or are there any I'm moments a, of hope or positivity? Uh, so I'm a believer in God. So I feel like God has his hands over all of us. Like he wouldn't, he wouldn't put more on our plate that we cannot bear. Um, so that's where I get my hope from. And I get my hope from getting up every day, being able to be healthy and actually go into work to help someone else. Okay. And so 
tell me a little bit more about yourself then, because you've obviously chosen, which I think is hugely fantastic and commendable. You've chosen to go to the front line, uh, to the worst place hit on the planet Earth. Why did you get into nursing? It's a good question, Marvin. So in 2010, I almost lost my dad to pulmonary embolisms. Um, my dad spent the whole month and a half in cardiovascular ICU. And I was in high school at this point, not knowing what I wanted to do. I'm one of those high school students that was involved in sports. So I'm like, ah, oh, I'll go somewhere where I get a scholarship in basketball or something. But then that made me realize my dad being in the hospital, those nurses taking care of him, I knew then that I wanted to be a nurse. The day my dad walked out of the hospital, healthy as ever, he was able to walk. He didn't get in a wheelchair. My dad's very stubborn. He walked to the car. And that day, I knew I wanted to be a nurse. I wanted to be able to return the same care that those nurses did for my dad. And so that's why I came to New York. I didn't want to question why I became a nurse. I wanted to be one of those nurses that took care of someone else's loved one that really needed it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so just to finish then, if you were to give one message to, to the people or to whoever watches this, what would that message be? My message to society would be nurses aren't doing this for money. A lot of us want to make a change. A lot of us want this to be over, but we can't do it on our own. We're all in this together, society and healthcare providers. Society can make a change by staying at home, social distancing. It's about making a difference in this world. Like, if you start going back out, you're just going to increase the amount of admissions in ICU. You're just going to increase the amount of hours us nurses and doctors are going to work. You're just going to increase the emotional instability that we have. You're going to increase the anxiety that we have, thinking that we have the coronavirus, thinking that we have the symptoms. Yes, maybe some of it may be anxiety that, oh, I have shortness of breath. But my shortness of breath that I get comes from wearing my N95 mask 13 hours, breathing in my own CO2 over and over and over again. Sometimes I get a headache. Just stay at home. I know it's hard. I know you get bored, but you have a life. You have something to think about in the future. How about use that time? Start a small business. Start having ideas of making more money or something. If it's money that you want, start having ideas. But stay at home because you may, be, may not be in New York, but you're going to be visiting someone's ER very soon if you don't because this coronavirus does not have an age on it. There's a 27-year-old right now in the ICU that I work in, two years older than me, with no comorbidities, meaning no history, no health history. Stay at home is the message I have, and you can help by making a difference by doing that. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Brianne. You know, I, 
I appreciate, and as I said before, you know, I don't think any of us will really fully appreciate, but I, you know, I think it's very important that people try and be as aware as possible to the reality to educate themselves so that they know that there's a reason to keep staying at home. So thank you very much for your time, Brian. Um, and I wish you all the best um, as we fight this pandemic. Thank you, Marvin. Wow, wasn't she great? That was Brianne Nicole Knight, probably the most inspirational guest I've had on the Live Ape so far, helping to remind us to keep staying safe and giving us an idea of how lucky so many of us are. So stay safe, everyone. This has been the Live Ape. My daddy's podcast.